Section 13 of The Home and the World This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Home and the World by Rabindranath Tagore Translated by Surendranath Tagore Chapter 12 Nikhil's Story Today we are going to Calcutta. Our joys and sorrows lie heavy on us if we merely go on accumulating them. Keeping them and accumulating them alike are false. As master of the house, I am in an artificial position. In reality, I am a wayfarer on the path of life. That is why the true master of the house gets hurt at every step and at last there comes the supreme hurt of death. My union with you, my love, was only of the wayside. It was well enough so long as we followed the same road. It will only hamper us if we try to preserve it further. We are now leaving its bonds behind. We started on our journey beyond and it will be enough if we can throw each other a glance or feel the touch of each other's hands in passing. After that? After that, there is the larger world path, the endless current of universal life. How little can you deprive me of, my love, after all? Whenever I set my ear to it, I can hear the flute which is playing, its fountain of melody gushing forth from the flute stops of separation. The immortal draught of the goddess is never exhausted. She sometimes breaks the bowl from which we drink it, only to smile at seeing us so disconsolate over the trifling loss. I will not stop to pick up my broken bowl. I will march forward, albeit with unsatisfied heart. The Bararani came and asked me, What is the meaning, brother, of all these books being packed up and sent off in box loads? It only means, I replied, that I have not yet been able to get over my fondness for them. I only wish you would keep your fondness for some other things as well. Do you mean you're never coming back home? I shall be coming and going, but shall not immure myself here any more. Oh, indeed. Then just come along to my room and see how many things I have been unable to shake off my fondness for. With this, she took me by the hand and marched me off. In my sister-in-law's rooms, I found numberless boxes and bundles ready packed. She opened one of the boxes and said, See, brother, look at all my pan-making things. 
in this bottle i have catechu powder scented with the pollen of screwpine blossoms these little tin boxes are all for different kinds of spices i have not forgotten my playing cards and draught board either if you two are over busy i shall manage to make other friends there who will give me a game do you remember this comb it was one of the swadeshi combs you brought for me but what is all this for sister rani why have you been packing up all these things do you think i'm not going with you what an extraordinary idea don't you be afraid i'm not going there to flirt with you not to quarrel with the chota rani one must die sooner or later and it is just as well to be on the bank of the holy ganges before it is too late it is too horrible to think of being cremated in your wretched burning ground here under that stumpy banyan tree that is why i have been refusing to die and have plagued you all this time at last i could hear the true voice of home the bararani came into our house as its bride when i was only 6 years old we have played together through the drowsy afternoons in a corner of the terrace i have thrown down to her green amras from the tree top to be made into delicious indigestible chutneys by slicing them up with mustard salt and fragrant herbs it was my part to gather for her all the forbidden things from the storeroom to be used in the marriage celebration of her doll for in the penal code of my grandmother i alone was exempt from punishment and i used to be appointed her messenger to my brother whenever she wanted to coax something special out of him because he could not resist my importunity i also remember how when i suffered under the rigorous regime of the doctors of those days who would not allow anything except warm water and sugared cardamom seeds during feverish attacks my sister-in-law could not bear my privation and used to bring me delicacies on the sly what a scolding she got one day when she was caught and then as we grew up our mutual joys and sorrows took on deeper tones of intimacy how we quarrelled sometimes conflicts of worldly interests roused suspicions and jealousies making breaches in our love and when the chota rani came in between us these breaches seemed as if they would never be mended but it always turned out that the healing forces at bottom proved more powerful than the wounds on the surface so has a true relationship grown up between us from our childhood up till now and its branching foliage has spread and broadened over every room and veranda and terrace of this great house when i saw the bararani make ready with all her belongings to depart from this house of ours 
all the ties that bound us to their wide-spreading ends felt the shock the reason was clear to me why she had made up her mind to drift away towards the unknown cutting asunder all her lifelong bonds of daily habit and of the house itself which she had never left for a day since she entered it at the age of nine and yet it was this real reason which she could not allow to escape her lips preferring rather to put forward any other paltry excuse she had only this one relationship left in all the world and the poor unfortunate widowed and childless woman had cherished it with all the tenderness hoarded in her heart how deeply she had felt a proposed separation i never realized so keenly as when i stood amongst her scattered boxes and bundles i could see at once that the little differences she used to have with bimala about money matters did not proceed from any sordid worldliness but because she felt that her claims in regard to this one relationship of her life had been overridden and its ties weakened for her by the coming in between of this other woman from goodness knows where she had been hurt at every turn and yet had not the right to complain and bimala she also had felt that the senior rani's claim over me was not based merely on our social connection but went much deeper and she was jealous of these ties between us reaching back to our childhood today my heart knocked heavily against the doors of my breast i sank down upon one of the boxes as i said how i should love sister rani to go back to the days when we first met in this old house of ours no brother dear she replied with a sigh i would not live my life again not as a woman let what i have had to bear end with this one birth i could not bear it over again i said to her the freedom to which we pass through sorrow is greater than the sorrow that may be so for you men freedom is for you but we women would keep others bound we would rather be put into bondage ourselves no no brother you will never get free from our toils if you needs must spread your wings you will have to take us with you we refuse to be left behind that is why i have gathered together all this weight of luggage it would never do to allow men to run to life i can feel the weight of your words i said laughing and if we men do not complain of your burdens it is because women pay us so handsomely for what they make us carry you carry it she said because it is made up of many small things whichever one you think of rejecting pleads that it is so light and so with much lightness we weigh you down when do we start the 
train leaves at half past eleven tonight. There will be lots of time. Look here. Do be good for once and listen to just one word of mine. Take a good nap this afternoon. You know you never get any sleep in the train. You look so pulled down. You might go to pieces any moment. Come along. Get through your bath first. As we went towards my room, Kema, the maid, came up and with an ultra-modest pull at her veil told us in depreciatingly low tones that the police inspector had arrived with a prisoner and wanted to see the Maharaja. Is the Maharaja a thief or a robber? The Bararani flared up that he should be set upon so by the police. Go and tell the inspector that the Maharaja is at his bath. Let me just go and see what is the matter, I pleaded. It may be something urgent. No, no, my sister-in-law insisted. Achota Rani was making a heap of cakes last night. I'll send some to the inspector to keep him quiet till you're ready. With this, she pushed me into my room and shut the door on me. I had not the power to resist such tyranny. So rare is it in this world. Let the inspector while away the time eating cakes. What if business is a bit neglected? The police had been in great form these last few days, arresting now this one, now that. Each day, some innocent person or other would be brought along to enliven the assembly in my office room. One more such unfortunate, I supposed, must have been brought in that day. But why should the inspector alone be regaled with cakes? That would not do at all. I thumped vigorously on the door. If you are going mad, be quick and pour some water over your head. That will keep you cool, said my sister-in-law from the passage. Send down cakes for two, I shouted. The person who has been brought in as the thief probably deserves them better. Tell the man to give them a good big helping. I hurried through my bath. When I came out, I found Bimal sitting on the floor outside. Could this be my Bimal of old, my proud, sensitive Bimal? What favor could she be wanting to beg, seated like this at my door? As I stopped short, she stood up and said gently with downcast eyes, I would have a word with you. Come inside then, I said. But are you going out on any particular business? I was, but let that be, I wonder here. No, finish your business first. We will have a talk after you have had your dinner. I was off to my sitting-room to find the police inspector's plate quite empty. The person he had brought with him, however, was still busy eating. Hello, I ejaculated in surprise. You, Amulia? It is I, sir, said Amulia with his mouth full of cake. 
I have had quite a feast, and if you don't mind, I'll take the rest with me. With this, he proceeded to tie up the remaining cakes in his handkerchief. What does this mean? I asked, staring at the inspector. The man laughed. We are no nearer, sir, he said, to solving the problem of the thief. Meanwhile, the mystery of the theft deepens. He then produced something tied up in a rag, which, when untied, disclosed a bundle of currency notes. This, Maharaja, said the inspector, is your six thousand rupees. Where was it found? In Amulya Babu's hands. He went last evening to the manager of your Chakna sub-office to tell him that the money has been found. The manager seemed to be in a greater state of trepidation at the recovery than he had been at the robbery. He was afraid he would be suspected of having made away with the notes and of now making up a cock-and-bull story for fear of being found out. He asked Amulya to wait on the pretext of getting him some refreshment and came straight over to the police office. I rode off at once, kept Amulya with me and have been busy with him the whole morning. He refuses to tell us where he got the money from. I warned him he would be kept under restraint till he did so. In that case, he informed me he would have to lie. Very well, I said he might do so if he pleased. Then he stated that he had found the money under a bush. I pointed out to him that it was not quite so easy to lie as all that. Under what bush? Where was the place? Why was he there? All this would have to be stated as well. Don't you worry, he said. There is plenty of time to invent all that. But, Inspector, I said, why are you badgering a respectable young gentleman like Amulya Babu? I have no desire to harass him, said the Inspector. He is not only a gentleman, but the son of Nibaran Babu, my schoolfellow. Let me tell you, Maharaja, exactly what must have happened. Amulya knows the thief, but wants to shield him by drawing suspicion on himself. That is just the sort of bravado he loves to indulge in. The inspector turned to Amulya. Look here, young man, he continued. I also was eighteen once upon a time and a student in the Ripon College. I nearly got into gaol trying to rescue a hack driver from a police constable. It was a near shave. Then he turned again to me and said, Maharaja, the real thief will now probably escape, but I think I can tell you who is at the bottom of it all. Who is it then? I asked. The manager, in collusion with the guard, Kasim. When the inspector, having argued out his theory to his own satisfaction, at last departed, I said to Amulia, If you will tell me who took the money, I promise you no one shall be hurt. I did, said he. 
But how can that be? What about the gang of armed men? It was I, by myself, alone. What Amulia then told me was indeed extraordinary. The manager had just finished his supper and was on the veranda rinsing out his mouth. The place was somewhat dark. Amulia had a revolver in each pocket, one loaded with blank cartridges, the other with ball. He had a mask over his face. He flashed a bull's eye lantern in the manager's face and fired a blank shot. The man swooned away. Some of the guards who were off duty came running up, but when Amulia fired another blank shot at them, they lost no time in taking cover. Then Kasim, who was on duty, came up whirling a quarterstaff. This time Amulia aimed a bullet at his legs, and finding himself hit, Kasim collapsed on the floor. Amulia then made the trembling manager, who had come to his senses, open the safe and deliver up six thousand rupees. Finally, he took one of the estate horses and galloped off a few miles there, let the animal loose, and quietly walked up here to our place. What made you do all this, Amulia? I asked. There was a grave reason, Maharaja, he replied. But why, then, did you try to return the money? Let her come, at whose command I did so. In her presence, I shall make a clean breast of it. And who may she be? My sister, the Chotarani. I sent for Bimala. She came hesitatingly barefoot, with a white shawl over her head. I had never seen my Bimal like this before. She seemed to have wrapped herself in a morning light. Amulia prostrated himself in solution and took the dust of her feet. Then, as he rose, he said, Your command has been executed, sister. The money is returned. You have saved me, my little brother, said Bimal. With your image in my mind, I have not uttered a single lie. Amulia continued, My watchword, Bande Mataram, has been cast away at your feet for good. I have also received my reward, your prashad, as soon as I came to the palace. Bimal looking at him blankly, unable to follow his last words. Amulia brought out his handkerchief and untying it showed her the cakes put away inside. I did not eat them all, he said. I have kept these to eat after you have helped me with your own hands. I could see that I was not wanted here. I went out of the room. I could only preach and preach, so I mused and get my effigy burnt for my pains. I had not yet been able to bring back a single soul from the path of death. They who have the power can do so by a mere sign.
my words have not that ineffable meaning i am not a flame only a black coal which has gone out i can light no lamp that is what the story of my life shows my row of lamps remain unlit i returned slowly towards the inner apartments the bararani's room must have been drawing me again it had become an absolute necessity for me that day to feel that this life of mine had been able to strike some real some responsive chord in some other harp of life one cannot realize one's own existence by remaining within oneself it has to be sought outside as i passed in front of my sister-in-law's room she came out saying i was afraid you would be late again this afternoon however i ordered your dinner as soon as i heard you coming it will be served in a minute meanwhile i said let me take out that money of yours and have it kept ready to take with us as we walked on towards my room she asked me if the police inspector had made any report about the robbery i somehow did not feel inclined to tell her all the details of how that six thousand had come back that's just what all the fuss is about i said evasively when i went into my dressing-room and took out my bunch of keys i did not find the key of the iron safe on the ring what an absurdly absent-minded fellow i was to be sure only this morning i had been opening so many boxes and things and never noticed that this key was not there what has happened to your key she asked me i went on fumbling in this pocket and that but could give her no answer i hunted in the same place over and over again it dawned on both of us that it could not be a case of the key being mislaid someone must have taken it off the ring who could it be who else could have come into this room don't you worry about it she said to me get through your dinner first the chota rani must have kept it herself seeing how absent-minded you are getting i was however greatly disturbed it was never bimal's habit to take any key of mine without telling me about it bimal was not present at my meal-time that day she was busy feasting amulia in her own room my sister-in-law wanted to send for her but i asked her not to do so i had just finished my dinner when bimal came in i would have preferred not to discuss the matter of the key in the bararani's presence but as soon as she saw bimal she asked her do you know dear where the key of the safe is i have it was the reply didn't i say so exclaimed my sister-in-law triumphantly our chota rani pretends not to care about these robberies but she takes precautions on the sly all the same the look on bimal's face made my mind misgive me 
Let the key be now, I said. I will take out that money in the evening. There you go again, putting it off, said the Bararani. Why not take it out and send it to the treasury while you have it in your mind? I have taken it out already, said Bimal. I was startled. Where have you kept it then? asked my sister-in-law. I have spent it. Just listen to her. Whatever did you spend all that money on? Bimal made no reply. I asked her nothing further. The Bararani seemed about to make some further remark to Bimal, but checked herself. Well, that is all right anyway, she said at length as she looked towards me, just what I used to do with my husband's loose cash. I knew it was no use leaving it with him. His hundred and one hangers on would be sure to get hold of it. You're much the same, dear. What a number of ways you men know of getting through money. We can only save it from you by stealing it ourselves. Get along now, off with you to bed. The Bararani led me to my room, but I hardly knew where I was going. She sat by my bed after I was stretched on it and smiled at Bimal as she said, Give me one of your pants, Shoti darling. What? You have none? You have become a regular mem sahib? Then send for some from my room. But have you had your dinner yet? I anxiously inquired. Oh, long ago, she replied, clearly a fib. She kept on chattering away there at my bedside on all manner of things. The maid came and told Bimal that her dinner had been served and was getting cold. But she gave no sign of having heard it. Not had your dinner yet? What nonsense! It's fearfully late. With this, the Bararani took Bimal away with her. I could divine that there was some connection between the taking out of this six thousand and the robbing of the other. But I have no curiosity to learn the nature of it. I shall never ask. Providence leaves our life moulded in the rough, its object being that we ourselves should put the finishing touches, shaping it into its final form to our taste. There has always been the bankering within me to express some great idea in the process of giving shape to my life on the lines suggested by the Creator. In this endeavour I have spent all my days. How severely I have curbed my desires, repressed myself at every step, only the searcher of the heart knows. But the difficulty is that one's life is not solely one's own. He who would create it must do so with the help of his surroundings, or he will fail. So it was my constant dream to draw Bimal to join me in this work of creating myself. I loved her with all my soul. On the strength of that, I could not but succeed in winning her to my purpose. 
that was my firm belief then i discovered that those who could simply and naturally draw their environment into the process of their self-creation belonged to one species of the genus man and i to another i had received the vital spark but could not impart it those to whom i have surrendered my all have taken my all but not myself with it my trial is hard indeed just when i want a helpmate most i am thrown back on myself alone nevertheless i record my vow that even in this trial i shall win through alone then shall i tread my thorny path to the end of this life's journey i have begun to suspect that there has all along been a vein of tyranny in me there was a despotism in my desire to mould my relations with bimala in a hard clear-cut perfect form but man's life was not meant to be cast in a mould and if we try to shape the good as so much mere material it takes a terrible revenge by losing its life i did not realize all this while that it must have been this unconscious tyranny of mine which made us gradually drift apart bimala's life not finding its true level by reason of my pressure from above has had to find an outlet by undermining its banks at the bottom she has had to seal this six thousand rupees because she could not be open with me because she felt that in certain things i despotically differed from her men such as i possessed with one idea are indeed at one with those who can manage to agree with us but those who do not can only get on with us by cheating us it is our unyielding obstinacy which drives even the simplest to torturous ways in trying to manufacture a helpmate we spoil a wife could i not go back to the beginning then indeed i should follow the path of the simple i should not try to fetter my life's companion with my ideas but play the joyous pipes of my love and say do you love me then may you grow true to yourself in the light of your love let my suggestions be suppressed let god's design which is a new triumph in my ideas retire abashed but can even nature's nursing heal the open wound into which our accumulated differences have broken out the covering veil beneath the privacy of which nature's silent forces alone can work has been torn asunder wounds must be bandaged can we not bandage our wound with our love so that the day may come when its scar will no longer be visible it is not too late so much time has been lost in misunderstanding it has taken right up to now 
to come to an understanding how much more time will it take for the correcting what if the wound does eventually heal can the devastation it has wrought ever be made good there was a slight sound near the door as i turned over i saw bimala's retreating figure through the open doorway she must have been waiting by my door hesitating whether to come in or not and at last have decided to go back i jumped up and bounded to the door calling bimal she stopped on her way she had her back to me i went and took her by the hand and led her into our room she threw herself face down on a pillow and sobbed and sobbed i said nothing but held her hand as i sat by her head when her storm of grief had abated she sat up i tried to draw her to my breast but she pushed my arms away and knelt at my feet touching them repeatedly with her head in obeisance i hastily drew my feet back but she clasped them in her hands saying in a choking voice no 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 you must not take away your feet let me do my worship i kept still who was i to stop her was i the god of her worship that i should have any qualms bimala's story come come now is the time to set sail towards that great confluence where the river of love meets the sea of worship in that pure blue all the weight of its muddiness sinks and disappears i now fear nothing neither myself nor anybody else i have passed through fire what was inflammable has been burnt to ashes what is left is deathless i have dedicated myself to the feet of him who has received all my sin into the depths of his own pain tonight we go to calcutta my inward troubles have so long prevented my looking after my things now let me arrange and pack them after a while i found my husband had come in and was taking a hand in the packing this won't do i said did you not promise me you would have a sleep i might have made the promise he replied but my sleep did not and it was no way to be found no no i repeated this will never do lie down for a while at least but how can you get through all this alone of course i can well you may boast of being able to do without me but frankly i can't do without you even sleep refused to come to me alone in that room then he set to work again but there was an interruption in the shape of a servant who came and said that 
Sandeep Babu had called and had asked to be announced. I did not dare to ask whom he wanted. The light of the sky seemed suddenly to be shut down like the leaves of a sensitive plant. Come, Bimal, said my husband. Let us go and hear what Sandeep has to tell us. Since he has come back again, after taking his leave, he must have something special to say. I went, simply because it would have been still more embarrassing to stay. Sandeep was staring at a picture on the wall. As we entered, he said, you must be wondering why the fellow has returned. But you know, the ghost is never laid down till all the rites are complete. With these words, he brought out of his pocket something tied in his handkerchief and laying it on the table undid the knot. It was those sovereigns. Don't you mistake me, Nicol, he said. You must not imagine that the contagion of your company has suddenly turned me honest. I'm not the man to come back in slobbering repentance to return ill-gotten money, but... He left his speech unfinished. After a pause, he turned towards Nikhil, but said to me, After all these days, Queen Bee, the ghost of compunction has found an entry into my hitherto untroubled conscience, as I have to wrestle with it every night. After my first sleep is over, I cannot call it a phantom of my imagination. There is no escape even for me till its debt is paid. Into the hands of that spirit, therefore, let me make restitution. Goddess, from you alone of all the world, I shall not be able to take away anything. I shall not be rid of you till I am destitute. Take these back. He took out at the same time the jewel casket from under his tunic and put it down, and then left us with hasty steps. Listen to me, Sandeep, my husband called after him. I have not the time, Nikhil, said Sandeep, as he paused near the door. The Mussulmans, I am told, have taken me for an invaluable gem and are conspiring to loot me and hide me away in their graveyard. But I feel that it is necessary that I should live. I have just twenty-five minutes to catch the northbound train, so for the present I must be gone. We shall have our talk out at the next convenient opportunity. If you take my advice, don't you delay in getting away either. I salute you, Queen Bee, Queen of the Bleeding Hearts, Queen of Desolation. Sandeep then left almost at a run. I stood stock still. I had never realized in such a manner before how trivial, how paltry this gold and these jewels were. Only a short while ago I was so busy thinking what I should take with me and how I should pack it. Now I felt that there was no need to take anything at all. 
to set out and go forth was the most important thing my husband left his seat and came up and took me by the hand it is getting late he said there is not much time left to complete our preparations for the journey at this point chandranath babu suddenly came in finding us both together he fell back for a moment then he said forgive me my little mother if i intrude nikhil the Mussalmans are out of hand they are looting harish kundu's treasury that does not so much matter but what is intolerable is the violence that is being done to the women of their house i'm off said my husband what can you do there i pleaded as i held him by the hand oh sir i appealed to his master will you not tell him not to go my little mother he replied there is no time to do anything else don't be alarmed bimal said my husband as he left us when i went to the window i saw my husband galloping away on horseback with not a weapon in his hands in another minute the bara rani came running in what have you done choti darling she cried how could you let him go call the divan at once she said turning to a servant the ranis never appeared before the divan but the bara rani had no thought that day for appearances send a mounted man to bring back the maharaja at once she said as soon as the divan came up we have all entreated him to stay rani mother said the divan but he refused to turn back send word to him that the bara rani is ill that she is on her deathbed cried my sister-in-law wildly when the divan had left she turned on me with a furious outburst oh you witch you ogress you could not die yourself but needs must send him to his death the light of the day began to fade the sun set behind the feathery foliage of the blossoming sajna tree i can see every different shade of that sunset even today two masses of cloud on either side of the sinking orb make it look like a great bird with fiery feathered wings outspread it seemed to me that this fateful day was taking its flight to cross the ocean of night it became darker and darker like the flames of a distant village on fire leaping up every now and then above the horizon a distant din swelled up in recurring waves into the darkness the bells of the evening worship rang out from our temple i knew the bara rani was sitting there with palms joined in silent prayer but i could not move a step from the window the roads the village beyond and the still more distant fringe of trees became more and more vague 
the lake in our grounds looked up into the sky with a dull luster like a blind man's eye on the left the tower seemed to be craning its neck to catch sight of something that was happening the sounds of night take on all manner of disguises a twig snaps and one thinks that somebody is running for his life a door slams and one feels it to be the sudden heart thump of a startled world lights would suddenly flicker under the shade of the distant trees and then go out again horses hoof would clatter now and again only to turn out to be riders leaving the palace gates i continually had the feeling that if only i could die all this turmoil would come to an end so long as i was alive my sins would remain rampant scattering destruction on every side i remembered the pistol in my box but my feet refused to leave the window in quest of it was i not awaiting my fate the gong of the watch solemnly struck ten a little later groups of lights appeared in the distance and a great crowd wound its way like some great serpent along the roads in the darkness towards the palace gates the divan rushed to the gate at the sound just then a rider came galloping in what's the news jata asked the divan not good was the reply i could hear these words distinctly from my window but something was next whispered which i could not catch then came a palanquin followed by a litter the doctor was walking alongside the palanquin what do you think doctor asked the divan can't say yet the doctor replied the wound in the head is a serious one and amulya babu he has a bullet through the heart he is done for end of section 13